The number of responsibilities and opportunities involved when starting a business or becoming a leader within an organization can overwhelm the best of us. It certainly overwhelms David and Matthew. Join the two hosts as they interview successful leaders about their journey to leadership, including victories, failures, and realizations. This is Like It's Your Job, a podcast from TSG Publishing. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to episode seven of uh, the podcast, Like It's Your Job. I'm your host, David Shields. And I'm your other host, Matt Shields. As always, we have a great set of guests. This is our first time with two guests. We have uh, making the most of a partnership with your co-founder, with two co-founders of one of the most exciting projects that I know of and that I have the privilege of getting to work on. We're here today with Joe Beard and Joel Radke. Joe and Joel, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Glad to have you on the show. It's been uh, it's been a long time coming. No, we appreciate it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll start with Joe. Uh, Joe Beard is the CEO of Collateral Edge. He is an entrepreneur, innovator, and a seasoned executive. In addition to to Collateral Edge, he co-founded Venture Dallas, the premier venture capital focused conference in DFW. Joe is a former partner at Pro Jane an early stage VC firm where he led 45 investments across four countries. Joe began his career as an investment banker at many big name firms, executing approximately 10 billion in M&A equity and debt transactions. Joe received his BS in discrete mathematics from West Point and his MBA from Columbia. Recently, PitchBook recognized Joe as one of the 53 black founders and investors to watch in 2021. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then we have Joel Radke, who is the president and COO of Collateral Edge. He's also a close friend of mine. Uh, we've worked together for a long time. Prior to co-founding Collateral Edge, Joel had an extensive and varied career in the financing and transaction markets. He previously co-founded United Orthopedic Group, an orthopedic bracing and services space platform that was purchased by a large competitor in 2014. Prior to UOG, Joel was a private equity investor with a focus on various sectors in the healthcare industry. He started his career as an M&A-focused investment banker. Joel graduated from Harvard University with a degree in government in 1996. Well, guys, we have a great topic today. Um, The main topic that we kind of approached you guys about, about um, uh, sharing with our listeners, is how to approach selecting and managing a a co-founding and equal partnership relationship. And there's uh, there's no two partners that I know that work together better than the two of you, uh, you know, on a really complicated, complex and fascinating project. So can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about that. Thanks. Who do, who do, you, who do you want to kick it off, David? Well, why don't you guys start by um, telling us a little bit about uh, just a few minutes about each other and about the project you're currently working on? I'll kick it off. So first of all, Joel and I have known each other probably since 2013. And uh, literally, this project in terms of collateral edge started from that initial meeting in a coffee shop, you know, roughly about seven or eight years ago. We both had similar experiences in middle market lending and some of the obstacles we saw and the challenges that were there for small businesses to get access to efficient debt capital. And now that idea has obviously evolved a lot from where it was seven to eight years ago, but that's where it all began. And so Collateral Edge um, is an innovative fintech platform that provides a a unique set of risk mitigating tools for regional and community banks. We help banks to solve for collateral deficiency on term loans anywhere in the size of five to 30 million 
essentially allowing a bank to better serve their customers and meet their complete lending needs. Joel, any other additional ideas in our relationship and kind of where we began? Yeah, it was, uh, I guess it was love at first sight. (laughs) From our our first meeting, we just really hit it off. You know, you do a lot of these kind of coffee shops or intros and, and friend of a friend's and and the person who introduced me to Joe, I, I really didn't know that well, but immediately liked and respected him. He was a West Point guy, and he heard a little bit about my story and said, there is a guy in Dallas that you need to meet. And I was pretty new to Dallas at that point. And, uh, you know, Joe walks in and we sit down and the time flew by. And, and I, I guess we'll talk about it later in terms of partnerships or what you look for. But um, even though we've had varied careers and, and Joe spent more time you know, in the VC world, the early stage side, later in his career, I spent more time kind of on the ops side or, or private equity focus. We we had a shared language we spoke because of our early training and early experiences that just made things easy. It made it made made it easy to track each other's ideas. It made it easy to you know kind of draw from a, a shared experience baseline that's continued. I think to make it make it easy to make decisions along the way, especially given that our, our focus area is finance. You, you, it'd be hard to do it if one party was much deeper into that than the other. So communication is an important uh, important aspect to a successful partnership. I know we'll get into that in, in more detail later. You know, you both have um, foundational synergies, right? You, you both came from an investment banking background and you both went to prestigious universities, Joel U. Harvard and Joe U. West Point. Um, it seems like kind of right away that helped with the communication. Uh, you know, you, you both understood transactional finance through and through with your deep experiences there. Um, and like I said, had, had just great education backgrounds. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that helped quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, I, would, I would tell you that um, that commonality is critical, in my opinion, because it really drives efficiency in terms of our decision-making and and the things that we're able to do together. Joel and I have spent a long time in our careers taking very complex ideas and being able to articulate those things in a very simple way. And so when you talk about communication, being able to express our thoughts on something, again, that's very complex at times, but to articulate that in a very simple way makes our communication easy and makes decision-making that much easier as well. They were the same age too, right? So you're not coming at it with somebody, you know, fresh out of college who thinks, you know, put it on the internet and it'll change the world. And so there's, you know, these gray hairs are earned a little bit. Joe lost all his hair. I I have a couple of gray ones. You know, with that experience comes, you talk about communication, Matt, but it also comes, you know, you have a little more humility. You, You have some scars and said, you know, it doesn't, you know, your first idea isn't always the right one. And that's happened with both of us. And we've seen things go well. And we and, and not just in our own careers, but having a longer career, you see a lot of other experiences too. A lot of other people succeed and fail. And, you know, Joe, I was in private equity, you see a bunch of company experiences and the way founders and, and, and CEOs run their business. And Joe sees the same thing with ventures. So that experience that I feel when you add us together, just multiplied the number of decisions, the number of good decisions and bad decisions we've seen or been a part of or experienced that I've already seen has has improved, you know, how we've gotten to where we are and, and why we got to where we are and what we see ahead. Um, so I, I think it's 
I think it's uh, it's been a real plus. Yeah, you're able to bypass a lot of the footfalls, you know, the common problems that you see in, in early stage. Yeah, startups. We, we, we won't <laughs> make we won't wait to make the mistakes we've seen. We'll make different mistakes. Different. That's exactly what I was just thinking. You know, everybody still makes mistakes, right? But it's good to it's good yeah. to know where the potholes are. So before we we jump into the meat and potatoes of our conversation here today, I do I do want to read both of the quotes that you provided for the for the show today and talk a little bit about why you chose the quote, why it was important to you and, and how it affects your personal life and professional life and your working relationship together. So, Joel, you chose a, a Chinese proverb, and that is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So tell us a little bit about why you chose that quote, what it means to you. Yeah, you know, that it, it sort of speaks, it's short, but it speaks to me on both business and the personal side. I have, uh, I, I tend to be a perfectionist. I tend to say, you know, just, even in the situation with Joe and I in Collateral Edge, we met seven years ago. Wow, wouldn't it have been great if we'd started this seven <laughs> years ago and we were seven or eight years down the line. We talked about that all the time. And look, there's so many things that go along in a company where you, you wish you would have done it a little differently or you wish you would have done it earlier. And the, the, the power of that quote for me comes from the second part, whether it's your kids or your company or your relationships or whatever it is, it's just, Hey, that's, that deal's done. Your, your, your best decision. There's still an opportunity to make the second best decision, but you, you know, get off your duff and do it. And if you just sit there and worry about why didn't I, you know, do this five years ago or buy Bitcoin or do, do whatever <laughs> it is, you're, you're, you're just going to be stuck in the rut. And five years from now, you're going to be saying the same thing. So to me, it's number one, it's a calming message because you can kind of forgive yourself for stuff you didn't do because you just didn't do it. But it's also an empowering message because it says, Hey, right now you, you got a chance get moving on it. Don't, don't be in the same position down the road. So it, so I, I you know, keep it in mind and it put, bury the past do the right thing today and, and get moving. My high school had a quote, uh, the time is now David's heard that probably thousands of times in his life as we went to the same high school. And that's very much the similar thought behind that quote is there is no time to act yeah. better than the present doesn't matter what you did in the past or if there were lost opportunities, but the time to act is now. And, you know, that's, it's a humbling quote because it makes problems addressable. If when you're not thinking, am I making the right decision that will affect me five years from now? You know, it's important to think long-term and strategically, as you guys know, but sometimes action is just, action is better than inaction a hundred percent of the time, even if it's the wrong action. You know, so that's, yeah. I, I, I really love that quote. All right. And Joe, we're going to get to your quote now from General Douglas MacArthur. That is duty, honor, country. These three hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, what you will be. They are your rallying points to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith, and to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. So tell us a little bit about that quote, why you chose it, and why it's impactful for you. Yeah, so first of all, I, I had to memorize that quote at West Point. And um, I'll tell you, like, my four years at West Point were probably the four of the most difficult years of my life. And so that, that quote really resonates with me because 
I think about duty as a duty is like honor to your team. It's doing the right thing when no one's looking. Honor is like how you go about doing things with integrity and trust. And then the idea of country is putting something before yourself. And so as I, as I think about like a soldier in combat, when you have nothing there around you, it's just you and your courage being able to fall back on the idea of duty on our country. It, it just represents something that's really strong, really powerful, that when you just have nothing left, like that can be your foundation. And so as I think about life, I mean, it's just all about doing things the right way and, you know, putting stuff, you know, little stuff behind you and realizing that there's a bigger world out there and there's things that are more important to yourself in terms of being selfless and, and sacrifice. So really meaningful for me. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of themes of, of loyalty associated with this quote, right? Of, you know, doing the right thing, even when the right thing is hard. And, yeah. you know, in addition to, um, you know, what I'm sure, you know, influencing your personal life, that is kind of the, that's what every startup goes through, right? You always have to do the right thing, even when the right thing is hard. And, you know, those are the successful startups, the ones that, um, you know, are ethically bound and, and really help change the world for the better. Absolutely. Well, that quote gives me goosebumps, uh, Joe. That's, it's, uh, it's such a, it's a dedication to, to a code, a dedication to a mission. And, uh, you know, if you can find one thing that I want to make sure that we hit on today, uh, multiple times is, is in addition to a shared foundation and shared life experience and, um, you know, even a, an overlapping age group, um, that a commitment to shared values how and why you want to do something and the impact that you want to have by your actions. That's got to be a foundational piece of, um, you know, of having a, a partner equal otherwise, even if it's just close. And that's really what that speaks to. Uh, look forward to hearing some about that. So on to our kind of first topic, as a lawyer, equal, equal partnerships are, are kind of the last thing that we recommend. Only because, as I say many, many times, you know, lawyers aren't usually on people's Christmas card list, right? Nobody calls a lawyer to say uh, things are going great. I just want to let you know they call typically call lawyers when something's going wrong. So lawyers are the first to maybe not recommend or um, try to convince uh, some principals not to go 50-50 and share that control equally. Uh, but there are definitely pros and cons. And you guys are, uh, you know, partners and you're it, it's just the two of you guys. So with those challenges that can come from maybe a deadlock or or a lack of agreement also come a lot of positives. So why did you decide to go through just a two person co-founder rather than start something on your own, start something solo? Here's how I look at it. If you were if the business was a lemonade stand. Right. You should probably do it yourself because the fun, the uniqueness, the little decisions that you make, your little spin on it, you want, you want control of that. You want, you want to feel that, you know, you personally are on it. You don't want to argue with your partner about the proportion of sugar and running a, a lemonade stand is within one person's ability to kind of organize and execute. When you set your sights on building a great company, a big market, a difficult problem, you you need to multiply the number of ideas. You need you need to make sure that all of the priorities and explorations that need to happen to address this don't get short shrift just because you've reached your mental limit or you've reached you know you're exhausted at the end of the day. There's just too there's too much to do. There's too and, and you wind up 
sacrificing the opportunity due to this, you know, the, I don't know if greed's the right word, but the desire to have, you know, to control it all. I think the other thing is, uh, along with in this concept of building a great company, you need a, and this goes to your question on the quality, you need a peer that can provide check and balances to bad ideas before they, it means, you know, when one person's in charge, one person's mostly in charge, too many bad plans get rubber stamped, go down the line, chew up resources, waste opportunity just because nobody was in a position to raise their hand and say, that's a dumb idea. You need, we need to talk about this more. And so in picking a partner, it's, you know, to me, the equal thing is important because you want to pick somebody who you will listen to and you will respect when you're all fired up to do X and you don't want to just say, well, I can steamroll over this person because of ownership or X or, you know, he doesn't have the experience that I have or you, you, those, those experiences bring the different perspectives and if you res- and if you respect the per- person on the other side and you realize they have the same stake in it as you do, then you can appreciate where they're coming from and it leads to better decisions. So, so to me, the the decision to partner it just it, it, it's sort of derivative of what's the project you're you're swinging at, and and um, you, you need both. You need two people pulling oars, and you got to respect the strength of the other person pulling the oar. Joe, what uh, what drove you to to co-found a company? You know, um, well, a couple of things. One, I think you know, during this last year and a half, I would say with COVID and everything that I saw with Black Lives Matter and politics, you know, I, I just felt like I was in a situation where I've been given a lot of opportunity, both in terms of in terms of mentors. Uh, my professional career, having two great parents to support me, a great education. I just felt like I, I could have a greater impact on the world. And Joel and I were sitting on this amazing idea. And I was like, we got to go swing for the fences. Like, we got to make it happen. And then in terms of working with Joel, you know, I've been fortunate throughout my career to work in very small teams from sports all the way through investment banking, even though I was at large firms. I was always working on a four or five person team and those teams are very successful. And I think the key factors were just trust and respect. And so as I looked at the partnership with Joel, I came into it, you know, one being self-aware of my strengths and weaknesses, but two, just having a trust in Joel in terms of his decision-making, his work ethic and his ability just to be able to match my hustle. Right. I, I think what Joel mentioned is true, having a peer, a true peer in terms of what you bring to the table is absolutely critical. The last thing that I'd mention is that as an investor at Perot Jane, a lot of times I was really wary of investing in a solo founder. Not because those guys or gals weren't smart, highly capable, just because running a business and creating something new and innovative is very complex. And so the you know, the, the thought that one person may be able to get their hands around the technology, leadership, you know, funding, finding capital, marketing, the, the likelihood of somebody being good at all of those things is just highly unlikely. And so you always want a team there um, to bounce ideas off of, but also in terms of just having someone to talk to, 
being a founder can be a lonely place for a lot of entrepreneurs. And so having someone that has that shared, you know, troubled night sleeping, the shared, you know, challenges of facing the new day and obstacles, having that conversation and realizing that you're not alone in that journey, I think it's pretty important. Yeah, I could say so. I mean, it, there's, it's definitely complicated, uh, regardless of, of kind of what business you're in and having, uh, you know, you really guys are, you guys really are a, a, a perfect match because at least in my experience, you are, you are peers, you have overlapping skill sets, overlapping experience, uh, shared values, but different, um, different applications to the, to the kind of startup and, and the business that you're trying to run. So, you know, all that's, those are really good lessons. Um, those are good lessons. And, you know, your, while your skill sets do overlap, I'm, I'm sure you bring different skill sets to the table, different abilities, different networks, different, you know, technical backgrounds. Uh, you know, how, how does that manage or how do you manage that in the in the equal partnership? And how does that how is that a strength for the organization? The fact that you have some overlapping skill sets. We, we talked about communication, shared values, uh, but the other strengths that are held individually rather than as a group. Uh, how does that strengthen the company? How do you how do you work through those those different skill sets? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll go first. I, I talked a little bit about our shared base and just being able to, you know, first understand each other is a good start for both communication or decision making or just human interaction. So uh, I think we that that's there and we come from that. But but despite our shared backgrounds, we do bring different experiences and personalities to the mix. And, you know, if you see, we'll probably talk later about areas where partnerships can go poorly, but, you know, one of the ways it can go poorly is to fight over roles. You know, uh, who, who wants to do this? Who wants to be on stage? Who wants to be the face of the company? Who wants to get credit? You know, when you're, when you're fighting over those different things, you lose track of what's best for the company. And the great thing about Joe and I, and it's, you know, I wish we could have run a, a national search to find the right partner because it feels like that's what we did and how it comes together. But he really likes to do things on the priority list and is good at them that I don't like to do and vice versa. So, you know, I think if, if you right now swapped our responsibilities and roles and ran the clock forward here, it'd be an utter disaster. We, we don't want to do what the other one likes to do, and we very much like to do what falls in our bucket. So, you know, the whole stay in your lane, I, let me have mine and you have yours is just less of a potential problem because we just, it just kind of fell neatly within our skill sets and motivations uh, for what we're working on. You know, I, I think the great thing, uh, and Joel, I agree with you 100%. I don't want to do what you do. Um, so, so that is very true. You're good at those things for a reason. Um, I, I think our diversity of thought and background is, is actually really critical to our ability to be able to work together. Because for me, finding a, a partner was all about how can we make two plus two equals seven, right? And I think that's what we're able to do is increase our reach because we both have expertise and backgrounds in areas that don't necessarily always overlap. And that aligns with the things that we like to do and the things that we do well, fortunately. And so I think that allows us to just get a lot more done and be more efficient with our time. 
and um, just put our company in a better position to succeed. It also helps us to be really thoughtful about the next people that we bring on board, right? Because Joel and I both know areas that we can stretch into and we're really good at, but we both have blind spots. You know, neither one of us is necessarily an expert when it comes to compliance, which is really critical to our business. So we know that's a place where we have to bring on expertise and kind of fill out our team. And the fact that we're both, you know, we're both self, self-aware, we understand what we're good and bad at and what our partners are really good at. And we just leverage those things to be successful with no ego um, involved. Yeah, that's a really great point, Joe, especially as we, I mean, we're hiring now, we've added an important senior team member, a couple more to add. We have to check ourselves sometime, not just to get people that look like our background and experience. Because we, you know, we like that animal. We know that animal's worked for us. But you, you can't have four or five where you're sort of, you know, all in the same skill set, and you, and you continue to not address the weaknesses or or round out the skill set. Looking at the team, and to me, that's a different decision from a co-founder partner. You're you're no longer hiring, you know, equal owners. I'm sorry, you're no longer pairing with equal owners. You're hiring skills to make the company successful. And those people will be, you know, important, valued employees, partners for the, for the company, but they need to, they need, you need to start rounding it out. And so we, uh, we've really, we've really focused on that. And I think that's, we go a long way towards checking ourselves to make sure we're not just liking the same thing because we know why we like the same thing. There, there's two things that startups cannot do in their early hires. And that is one hire. Yes. People that will just always say you're the founder will follow you. Right. There has to be some level of, uh, you know, pull and take associated with the relationship. And the other is people who don't have strong visions for the section of the business that they will be in charge of, whether it's building the back end or building a, glorious website, right? That kind of goes alongside the, the yes people mentality where they have to be able to drive the work themselves um, in conjunction, you know, with, you know, weekly status meetings and, and input from the, from the two partners. Uh, but they, they really have to be able to go drive the work themselves and not be learning on the job how to do what their job is, right? And that I imagine is, it, that is also true with your two relationship and that, you know, you both have a really good vision for what your lane is and what the end product needs to be. Um, and obviously that's developed in conjunction with each other. But, you know, if you have to go ask Joe every time you make a decision and vice versa, nothing's going to get done right at the end of the day. Yep. Lead to frustration and frustration leads to you know, not non-productivity and non-success. Well, it goes back to what Matt said earlier, your quote from your uh, high school about action, right? Like indecisiveness will kill an early stage company. Like you got to take action. You got to take action. So you got to have trust in your partner to be able to take action and get things done and execute uh, alongside the, the vision without necessarily having to oversee everything. Has to be that way. If you had to pick, I'm putting you guys a little bit on the spot, but if you had to pick one thing that really um, contributed to that productivity and that that ability to take action uh, into your partnership, what do you think that would be? Well, we're both we're both oriented that way. So, 
I, I you know, <laughs> we were trained that way to start with, which is there was, when you're trained as an investment banker, you move mm-hmm. and you get stuff done and you can't just sit around and, Hey, it's five o'clock and, you know, time for happy hour. And we take the weekend off. You just get it burned into your system. The project's there to do time to get after it. You know, Joe has military training as well. It's sort of the same way you, you lean forward and you may fall on your face, but you lean forward and you move. So I, I think that has helped us. You know, there is, I would say, I talked earlier about kind of the stage in our career. We probably are a little more conservative than two 25-year-olds. You know, what was Facebook's uh, move fast and break things? I'm not sure. We may break some things, but we're going we're gonna to measure twice and, you know, break, break <laughs> it once. <laughs> so we go along. So I, I think we make sure we're very thoughtful and strategic about almost everything we do, but we realize that, you know, time is not your friend. Uh, we have a big market opportunity and market opportunities can go away over time as other people see them if you don't move. Uh, so it just, you know, it's that, I, I feel it. Part of that is is the industry in which Collateral Edge operates as well. You know, Facebook had a had a pure whiteboard where they were able to just write and create the industry themselves. There were a few competitors prior to, obviously, Zanga and MySpace and similar. But, um, you know, banking is such a, an entrenched industry that tends to move slowly. And it's had a lot of disruption over the last decade with fintech platforms like Collateral Edge. So it's starting to get used to adopting new technologies. But the reality is, it is still, you know, a tanker, an oil tanker, right? It takes a long time to turn. So, you know, a slightly more conservative approach and making sure that everything works correctly, even at pilot programs, you know, is an important aspect to any fintech platform, because if it goes wrong, it goes wrong really badly. Versus Facebook, you just, your photos (laughs) don't get uploaded or your status doesn't post or whatever. And it's, if he goes wrong, it's your reputation exactly. and it's the message that the market gets and you're done. So you got to get it right. No, that, that's exactly right, Joel. I, I think, David, going back to your, your question, like failure is not an option, right? Inaction and complacency leads to failure. And failure is not an option for us, for our families, for our investors. I think the thing that keeps us both up at night is that you know, when you, when you build a company and you take capital investment from people you know, mentors, former bosses, friends, like that keeps me up at night. Like that makes it so when I'm ready to go to bed at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, I'm like, man, there's five more things I can probably get done before I fall asleep. Like that, that idea of people having that kind of confidence and faith in us, that leads to you got to take action. You've got to make something happen because failing is, I'm not trying to go back to any one of our investors in our cap table and say, we failed because we were tired. We failed because we didn't take action. We failed because it was just too hard. Like that's, that's not an option. Well, you guys, you know, that failure probably guides both of those big picture um, guardrails that you put over yourselves and in, in developing the product and moving your company forward, which is take action, but you know, measure twice and cut once, right? Do it in the right way. Do it with the benefit of experience. 
uh, the benefit with the, the massive amount of, of expertise and uh, thought that you guys put into everything you do. But, you know, all that overlaps and, and it, uh, it's, it's clear, at least for me, uh, is participating in this conversation that, that that is a part of the fabric of the culture of the company you guys are building and, and your partnership. So I have no doubt that, that differences of opinion, um, or, um, you know, just total kind of, um, contradicting viewpoints on how a certain action should be taken or what direction you should go are few and far between. Uh, but when they do happen, how do you resolve that? Um, how do you move forward? And uh, what, did, what what can you provide an example of how what has happened in the past, even without the details of what you guys are working on? Yeah, you know, I guess sometimes they're black and white decisions, uh, but most of the time it's a question of nuance or emphasis and strategy. And and because of the shared background, I think. Usually, if we give each other the opportunity to fully lay out our thinking, you see things that maybe you didn't see when you were coming up with what you wanted to do. And that's that's happened over and over and over again. Joe, you know, Joe will say, you just hear me out and how I'm looking at it. And I'll do the same thing. And I'll say, here's what I think is going to happen. And we'll both kind of say, hmm, you know, I, I didn't think of it that way. That makes some sense. Let's figure out a plan based on that. But this goes back to the first question too, and that, you know, being equal or being, we both have everything to gain and lose from making great decisions. And I would raise, I would rather make a great decision based on his great idea that's contrary to my initial bad idea because we will win. And having the humility to focus on the bigger game, the bigger picture and not keep score. And he got his last time and I want to get mine this time. It, I don't know. I, I that's that's helpful for me. I, I don't know if it's it's humility or, or what, but it. I'm sure there will be decisions where there will be an impasse. Um, you know, the nice thing is because of our kind of split, easy split in responsibilities. I would hope that if it happens to fall in one partner's area of responsibility, that they get a little more benefit of the doubt on a on a decision. But it's. If it's a true impasse and it's something that's critical, I, it's just not going to happen. You know, we're not going to bowl over each other. We're not going to undermine each other. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, that combined with what we just talked about, where you can't just sit still. So if we all want to sit around and just exercise veto rights, you know, we'll have a debating society <laughs> and no company. So the ability to check your ego at the door during yeah. a conversation is important to getting over any impasses. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I think Joel and I are both pretty self-aware and we both have biases, right? Based on our experiences and the things that we've gone through within our careers that may force us to see things through, through one way. Um, but what I love about our relationship is that I feel like we can challenge each other without being disrespectful, without, you know, being a jerk about how you're going about things. It's okay for him to challenge the way that I think and challenge my approach to a problem, and I can accept that. And the other thing for me is that I want my partner to feel empowered, right? So there may be decisions where we're not in complete alignment, but I trust his judgment, and I want him to feel empowered to go out and execute. If I was, you know, questioning Joel's judgment on every single question that came around, 
eventually you get to a point in our partnership where your, your partner doesn't feel empowered. Your partner doesn't feel like an equal. Your partner doesn't feel like you trust their judgment. And that can happen. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're always going to be in the fairway. And I think that even if we make a poor decision, we have the intelligence, we have the work ethic, um, we have the drive to recover and continue moving without it being an issue. So I think it's all about trust. Well, and you have the support of your team members as they become onboarded to help navigate any challenges or footfalls that are, that are hit. You have support of capital partners, right? Assuming that there are active capital partners in the business that can help overcome either short-term or long-term challenges. Um, and it really, it really, I love the way you put it there because it's, it's much more complicated than just checking your ego at the door and saying, okay, I think I'll give this one up. It's, it's supporting your partner, your equal mm -hmm. partner in the business mm -hmm. and allowing them to succeed. And if he, if he succeeds and you both succeed or fail and if he fails, you learn from it and you correct the action and move forward and just continue to get stronger as an organization. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even with all that we just said, if there's some, if one of us really put a pick in the ground and says, this decision is bad for the company, bad, it's, that means it's bad for both of us, bad for our families. You, you can't, you don't want to be in the position of saying, oh, okay, we'll just go along with it and then see a negative result and, and just kick yourself. So, you know, know what's important, know what, know what hill you want to stand on and respect the fact that if your partner is standing on that hill and with all the incentives aligned that we have, man, that you, you should take something away from that. Maybe, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. Gotta be a reason. Gotta be a reason. Mm -hmm. So just, uh, it sounds like uh, I'm going to, I'll turn the phrase around just a little bit, but it sounds like um, uh, the best, the, uh, the best offense in this case is a good defense, meaning there's not, there's not the, the best way to avoid or the best way to resolve a problem uh, that may arise between two founders is to avoid it through trust, respect, knowing yourself, open communica communication, um, all the things we've kind of talked about. What To what extent is the fact that your interests in this project are, are you know, virtually identical? Um, what To what extent does that alignment of interest contribute to um, the way that you guys interact and, and uh, um, go forward together? You know, I, I think for me, um, the, the fact that we have this shared vision of this problem we're trying to solve, the market that we're trying to address, um, it makes the day-to-day -day a lot easier because it would be foolish to think that there's one path, right, to be successful. There's no one path to building a multi-billion dollar company. There's so much complexity. There's so many decisions that need to be made. Um, so for me, it's about enjoying the journey, enjoying the process, and knowing that, you know, we're, we're going to shift around a little bit. We're going to maybe make some changes to the business. Joel's going to make some decisions that maybe I don't completely understand. But that shared vision, you know, makes me feel comfortable that we're moving to the same place, right? We're looking at the exact same destination, but our, our different experiences, our different, you know, upbringings probably help us to see things through a slightly different lens. And that's okay. For me, that's the joy of it because we're both still, you know, we're in our 40s, um, but we're both still learning, right? We're both still growing as individuals. And so 
for me, this journey, it's part of that as well. It's getting exposed to another person's way of thinking and challenging my own biases, my own things that I've learned in my career that maybe, you know, don't necessarily do me justice at times. Yeah, there are many ways to get from L.A. to New York City. <laughs> and, you know, you may disagree with going up through Nevada as opposed to, uh, what would that be over there, Arizona. But, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you end up in New York City, everybody's very happy with the end result. Yeah, it's when the other, one guy's trying to go to West Palm and the other guy's trying to go to, go to New York that uh, you wind up, <laughs> yeah, that's what you wind up questioning, like, why are you going that way? But, yeah, I th- I, I, I'm comfortable. We both have the same end in mind, and and if we come, when we get to decisions or when we get to impasses, I think the best thing to do is just check that end goal. Say, hey, hey, bud, here's are we both still trying to get to this place? Because if we are, I take comfort in that. Let's find the best way to get there. Well, I mean, there's no doubt this this uh, what you guys are doing is forging a lot of experience and a lot of thoughtfulness um, with each other, and just how to approach. Uh, co-founding a company in your experience, um, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the issues that, that, uh, true partnerships face? And maybe a, maybe a, a more grounded question, um, for you guys specifically is what potential issues were you two trying to head off in the way that you structured this? Everybody has bad partnership stories. <laughs> lived them, seen them. That's the that's the easiest way to get somebody to buy your beer is say, tell, tell me about a time when you had a partnership go wrong. And David, being in the business you're in, have seen... <laughs> I've seen my detail. fair share. I, I've seen them... There are a couple ways where I've seen them go wrong. Because this one way, and this is that it's gone wrong, 100% of the time I've seen is where... You see partners come together where one has the vision, the idea, and the other has the capital. So you start with they're kind of in it together, but one guy's the money guy. It, 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 it goes wrong every time because the first hard decision that comes around, he says, you know, worried about preserving capital, worried about do I have to put more money in? And the partner with the vision is like, you don't see what's going on here and constantly is is kind of at odds and those blow up spectacularly. The, the other way I've seen it is where, you know, partners come together just because they were the guys in the room, you know, sort of guy, four guys in a dorm room have this great idea and, and Hey, let's all get equal shares. When one or, one or two of them don't really bring anything to this table, they just happen to, you know, be there. And all of a sudden he's head of marketing and, you know, that's hard to unwind because you know, back to the equal share thing, if it's equal shares, but you don't have partners bringing equal experience, set abilities in the right spot to execute the goals, it's not destined to go well. So I, I think, you know, one of the ways that we've tried to avoid that is uh, is not being in the, either of those categories, but also that it's the, it's the respect. It's the, you know, the third way and coming from some finance, organizations in the past, the backbiting behind the scenes as the team grows is just lethal. And so, you know, Joe and I have talked about this before, especially as our team grows, we're going to have teams kind of sprouting under reporting up to each other in our areas of responsibility. Uh, You know, you just cannot undermine the other guy and we can have as many disagreements as we want, but they have to be closed doors, hash it out. When we come out and face the employees, we're, 
you know, we're on the same page and believe in each other. And I think em- employees, when they see that, when they see you always talk well of the other, you always support the decision, say, I think he's got this under control. That does, that goes a long way toward the right culture and the right just ethos in the company. You know, Joel, you, you talk about the imbalance between um, capital and vision. I, I think about that imbalance between work ethic, right, and what people bring to the table. And so what I've seen go wrong in partnerships is when you have one person that feels like they're just bringing a lot more to the table in terms of effort you know, work ethic and drive versus their partner. And so I mentioned this earlier on, but one of the things I love about our partnership is that I feel like Joel matches my hustle, right? At the end of the day, I know that he's working just as hard, putting in just as many hours, putting in just as much thought as I am, even though we go about things in a different way. And then the the second thing that I would bring up is character. Right. I, the, the partnerships that I've seen fail, and this is investing at Perot Jane and, you know, even on the investment banking side, some of the businesses that I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have a partner that has significant character flaws that people just let go and, you know, they don't worry about and you think that maybe your partnership can outgrow those things, you'll never outgrow it. Those, those significant character flaws will eventually rise and rear their ugly head. And so I I think that's something that's a real challenge for partnerships and something that I think Joel and I really assessed early on in our relationship is just making sure that, you know, we did have similar, you know, ethics and and values and morals in terms of how we saw the world. And again, I grew up on military bases, you know, all over the world with my parents. Joel jokes that he grew up in, you know, cornfields in Illinois our backgrounds couldn't be any more different in terms of our upbringing, but those shared values and morals are, are, are critical, I think, in the partnership. Well, it's it, you guys have really given us a, a framework and you've really given all of our uh, listeners something to think about as they consider. Um, certainly putting a lot of thought into your, your vision, your values, who you are, and your contribution to a partnership is really going to be Uh, some of the key and important things. Um, So thank you guys for that. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on the show and and talking to us about your partnership, the the pros and cons of being equal partners. And before we wrap up today, I want to get to our rapid fire questions section. This is the last section of the show where we ask our guests the same five questions every month. So are you guys ready? Let's go. What is the one habit that contributes most to your success? I think for me, it's, it's thinking carefully about why things the way they are. It's sort of don't ever take down a fence unless you know why it was put up. You may walk along and you see an armadillo in the tree and it makes sense to take it out of the tree. But there's a reason why that armadillo is in the tree. <laughs> and so this applies to just how I think and how we approach the problems is you have to be able, your customers aren't stupid. Your distributor partners aren't stupid. Your, you know, think things are the way they are for a reason. It's either institutional incentives or what, you know, people, where people sit and how they, what, how they're evaluating their day-to-day lives. They're trying to be successful. So I think you, I, I really make the habit of trying to understand the whole structure and not just assuming that I know the answer on the, on the first pass. And and if you understand something deeply like that, 
you, you can come to a better solution or you can come to a solution to a problem as opposed to just complaining about your dumb customers. Yeah, industry infrastructure exists for a reason. Yeah. So, Joe? You know, I've been, in a, I've been in a lot of rooms with a lot of smart people throughout my career, whether it was in the military, investment banking, venture capital. I might be in a room where I'm not the smartest. I'm not the fastest. May not be the best looking. But I'm highly confident that I'm going to outwork everybody in the room. And for me, that's my, that's my strength. That's my fallback. No matter what, you're not going to outwork me. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think that gives me a lot of confidence in terms of any challenges that I face, um, in terms of any obstacles that may come, you know, in our business or in our partnership. You're not going to outwork me. Love it. Joel, dinner with three people, dead or alive? I think, I think two of them are, you know, the two people who I love to be around all the time are easy. That'd be my kids, Bennett and Joanna. And I know that it, I can never have enough dinners with them and never have enough interaction with them. So I'd, I'd pick, pick them to do it again. And then the third would probably be, you know, who would I want them to spend a couple hours with from history or just to, because sometimes they don't listen to dad, but is there somebody's story that they could take away um, things that I would hope they would? And I, I, I'd probably pick somebody like Teddy Roosevelt. You know, a sickly, frail child that had no chance, no real chance, and then suddenly turns into, you know, the optimism, the being in the arena, the, you know, pushing forward and smiling and, and facing challenges and picking your. I just want them to have that kind of spirit. And especially kids, my, my kids are 15 and 12. And, you know, what's with, with what's gone on last year plus, there's just so much of, pulling inward and being afraid of the world and afraid to try things. And so I I just, I would hope that, you know, at the end of that kind of dinner, hearing some stories, they'd realize, you know, put yourself out there, live, live life, give things a try. And, and he, he really was a larger than life personality. So yeah. Uh, Joe. All right. So mine, I'm going to, I would say family, but I'm going to, I'm going to stretch a little bit. Um, First to be Martin, Martin Luther King would be first. I think the courage that that guy must have had is just unbelievable. So I would just love to, to learn and hear his story. Um, the second, my, my favorite hip-hop artist is Jay-Z. And so that's, that's a guy that came from literally nothing that is likely going to be a, a billionaire soon if he's not already. So just that, that grind and that grit I just have an appreciation for his story as well. And in the last, I think in terms of another person that's passed away would be Kobe Bryant. And I'd say Kobe just because his competitiveness, I mean, that guy was just fierce. And so I think there's a lot to be learned from someone that has that type of mentality. Uh, I think it would be amazing to hear his story. Well, all three of those individuals were world-changing individuals, if only in just, you know, their world. MLK, the civil rights, which had a a national effect. Jay-Z reinvented the hip-hop and really the the entire music industry. And then Kobe Bryant did the same thing in basketball and the NBA. So those are three, you know, world-changing individuals. So three three really good answers. 
Joel, if you had a million dollars to invest anywhere, where would it be? Collateral edge, obviously, but we're not taking on <laughs> any, any additional investors. There's no ban on shameless self-promotion here. The, uh, you know, second is probably Dogecoin in January 2021. But yeah. can't, can't go back there. But, you know, to me, as I think about that question, it's, and Dogecoin's a good example, right? We have, there's just chaos and change and what's the dollar going to be valued? Are we going to have more pandemics? Is there going to be wars? There's, you know, political machinations left and right. So the, the question is, if you had that million dollars and you had to put it somewhere for the next 10 years and you couldn't touch it and wake up on the other end and, you know, is the stock market going to be cratered or tripled? You, you, know, mm-hmm. you don't want to, if you're picking a company, how do you avoid picking a blockbuster? Or, you know, you can pick Amazon today and who knows, Amazon might get broken up. It's, there's a lot of uncertainty. So, I, you know, I kind of have a barbell approach in my life and I'm taking a lot of you know, building a world changing fintech company that's on the risky end, the upside end of the spectrum on the, on the other side of the barbell. I'd probably put it in a basket of insurance companies. I mean, this is, that business has been around 200 years. It's going to be around the next. 200 years. That's not going anywhere. It's like anywhere. the casino, the insurance yeah. company usually wins. The regulatory environment always sale, favors a certain level of conservatism in their financial operations. So I I would bet that the insurance industry is going to do just fine over the next 10, 20 years, no matter what happens. Joe? Well, so my, my first answer was obviously collateral edge, without a doubt. Um, but I, <laughs> I like this question because it allows me to put my venture capital hat back on. And I would say based on what I saw over this last year with this COVID environment, um, I, I think customer habits have changed significantly. I think their expectations have changed significantly. This idea of instant gratification, not having to be in a store to purchase, make big expensive purchases online, I think that's going to result in a lot of efficiency that needs to be driven across supply chains. And so that's everywhere from real estate and warehousing to storefronts to transportation, last mile delivery. So if I had to place a million bucks, it would be somewhere within that supply chain fabric would be a place that I would play. I just think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of efficiency that has to be driven over the next five years to really to truly meet the expectations of customers going forward, because I don't think we're ever going back to a pre-COVID period where stores are just going to be packed with people and that's the only way they like to buy, you know, items. It's just not going to happen. We are at the bottom of this e-commerce way that we shop and and buy buy products. I mean, heck, you can buy a car online. You have been able to for, for a long time. Yeah. Joel, what is the top skill you look for in your team? Creative problem solving, persistence, can do optimistic mindset where they see, you know, don't, don't mire themselves in the problems or realistic about the problems, but say, Hey, with elbow grease and some creativity, we can solve it. And also this is my investment banking DNA coming out. Attention to detail. Please don't make typos. Please don't, mm-hmm. please don't be sloppy. The sloppiness in, in the little things leads to sloppiness in the big things. It's I've seen it over and over. When I was at Deloitte, we used to say it's got to be tight. It's just everything has to come together on the small details because 
you know, if you have one typo on one slide, you know, a VP may pick your presentation apart and sink the project just because they don't want it for all kinds of other reasons. If you get a typo, they may question, are your numbers really right? It, that's exactly right. Yeah, that is exactly right. How about you, Joe? What is the top skill you look for in your team? You know, I, I think there's two things kind of combined. It's number one, integrity, right? I, I think that a customer will, you know, they'll give you a pass on making a mistake but they will not give you a pass on a breach of integrity. And so I, I think, you know, people with high morals, high integrity is super important. And then I think one of the things that I touched on earlier, that sense of duty, you know, I, I think when we have this complex business that we're trying to create and a lot of things that need to get done, and there's a lot of hands in the mix, having people that have a, a strong sense of duty of being able to do the right thing for the team when nobody else is looking because it has to get done and it has to get done right, I think is really important. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So Joel, what are your competitors' greatest opportunities? I think it's uh, how Facebook looked at Instagram. You better buy Collateral Edge now for a billion because we're about to get a lot more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. How about you, Joe? What are your competitors' greatest opportunities? Their greatest opportunity is our inaction. Right, we, we have a strong value proposition. We have a, a great view on the market. We have a massive problem that we're solving. Their best opportunity is that we don't take action fast enough to go attack this problem. If we do that, it's a wrap. You know, I, I love both of those answers because it takes the world in your own hands, right? You control your own destiny based on those those two answers. So I um, I really absolutely like you guys were looking at that. All right, well, thank you guys. Um, appreciate your insight. Really appreciate you sharing our or your experience with our uh, with our listeners today. It's good to speak with both of you, uh, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. All right, Great. really enjoyed it. Thanks thank for having us, guys. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you guys like what you heard today, be sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Music or visit our website, growthexit.com and shieldslegal.com. Follow us on all of our social media channels for relevant business content. And definitely make sure to go to collateraledge.com and learn about how they are re-envisioning capital delivery for banks and borrowers. Thanks, and we'll see you guys next month.